Good morning. I'm Pastor Steve, and uh, hi. Um, and you, uh, as some of you know, we're going through a series on God's vision for his people in 10 words, otherwise talked about as the Ten Commandments, but it's literally 10 words, and it's God's vision. We're focusing on his vision for his people, what he wants, what he wanted. He rescued these people. He saved them by the, his grace. He has freed us. And now, as part of that covenant commitment to him as king, he says, here is how you can live so that you can represent me and so that we can have the kind of relationship that is a just and good relationship with each other and with God, with creation. So we've been looking at those things. We looked at um, murder and anger last time. We uh, started with everybody probably thinking, I'm fine, I haven't murdered anybody. And by the end, at least I was convicted because, I don't know, this particular season tends to make me angry. Um, and political season tends to get me angry with everybody. Um, with, with just how, how uh, but, I, but I'm not going to say the word that we don't say. Um, we talked about last time as far as um, criticizing people. And then, um, so, so our topic this time is the next word in those 10 words. And um, so good sex is our title today. Um, now Liz and Cherry both asked me, are you sure that's the title you want for this sermon? Um, so I want you to think about when you think of good sex, what, what comes to mind? How would you describe good sex? How would you think about what, what is it? Okay? Everybody's looking at me with uh, interesting looks. So now turn to the person next to you and talk. No. Okay, okay. We won't. <laughs> We do that sometimes, but maybe we won't yet uh, at the beginning of the sermon. So um, there is a lot of talk about good sex in our world, isn't there? It's pretty hard not to drive down the street, walk through the grocery store, or turn on the internet or TV or anything else and not hear something about it, some kind of... Um, Something. So, so what is good sex? Now, it's true that according to magazines, web, TV, movies, novels, music, there is a picture that's put out there about good sex. Right? Now, I'm, I'm being a little bold here. I know this is not something we usually talk about in church, which is kind of unusual because we talk about it every place else all the time. We haven't really talked about it in the two years I've been here. Um, and the Bible actually talks about it quite a bit and pretty... Boldly, up front, and, un, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty honest in Scripture. So, um, according to magazines, there is a picture about what good sex is, right? And somehow, we don't seem to have gotten it yet because every time you walk through the grocery store, every time you see a Cosmopolitan magazine, they have a, another recommendation for good sex. And I, you'd think they would have learned by now. Somehow, we would have learned there wouldn't have to be top 10 or whatever of everything, right? But somehow we don't seem to have gotten it yet because we keep, everybody's telling us um, what it is, how to do it, where to, where to go. So who knows? Where is the definitive book that's going to tell me or you about what good sex is? Well, let me suggest that the one who made it might know. 
Who really knows good sex? Well, the creator of sex probably has some recommendations for proper use. Um, I remember one of my favorite, there was a knife that uh, had been manufactured someplace else that it, it, it said, keep out of children. That was, that was probably good advice. The manufacturer probably knew that that was not something you're supposed to do with that. So, um, so what is the recommendation from the creator of sex? In this 10 words, he says, you must not commit adultery. So what is that word? The word adultery is to have sex with somebody who's married. Um, and that breaks the covenant of marriage. In this text, in Exodus, as we're going through these 10 words, it is specifically adultery, as in one of the people is married when they, when they have sex, and that is adultery. Now, of course, we have nicer words for it now, affairs and other things like that, but it's adultery. But in this situation, it's also standing for all sexual sins. It's focused on adultery because we're talking especially about this relationship with God. And God, the word adultery is used by the prophets a whole bunch of times. A third of the times they use it, they're talking about the people of Israel being adulterous. And God's faithful love for this people who are so unfaithful to him. So it's an image of what marriage is supposed to be an image of God's faithful love to his people and the faithful love. That, but we in our marriages don't always live up to that. So part of what God is saying is in you as a people, do not commit adultery because then people will see what kind of a holy nation and a kingdom of priests you are and what my character is like. You know, we don't even like to use the word character anymore. It's been used so... We, we talk about personality and other things, but in character implies that there's a, a story going on, a narrative going on, and we have a place to play. But what is the narrative? What's the big story? Um, <clears throat> so you must not commit adultery. So good sex, this says, is married sex between a man and a woman. That's what it's saying. And bad sex is everything else. Adultery and all other sexual sins. Now, if you watch the movies and the novels and the whatever else, you would get this flipped backwards. Because good sex, hot sex, all that stuff is always not people who are married. And if anything has ever showed that actually somebody who was married, it's like, ho-hum, oh, you know, whatever. So it, it seems like marriage is a real obstacle to having good sex, the way things are portrayed, you know. And even if you read good advice, it's like, well... So get away from your routine and send the kids off someplace and get some champagne and some candles. And you can't just have it like normal, day-to-day -day life in your house. It's got to be something different, special. But good sex, according to this definition, is just sex that's between a man and a woman who are married. So let's look at some of the reality versus lies. The, the picture, the assumptions, especially, that are underneath of the portrayal we have in our world. So the reality is marriage and rules enable good sex. But what you hear out there is that rules hinder good sex. If you're going to have good sex, you've got to break some rules someplace. It's more exciting that way. 
and marriage gets in the way. I mean, all those dishes and all that stuff, you know, it's, it just gets in the way of good sex. But actually, marriage and rules enable good sex. And even, honestly, the, uh, the uh, research that's done, people seem to ignore this in their recommendations, but the research shows that married women, especially Protestant, Christian, committed, married women, have... More pleasure. There's, that's the way it, it actually, uh, the research comes out that way. And other stuff too. If you want to stay married, don't live together. I mean, it's changed now so that parents are actually like, well, why don't you guys test it out so you know whether you're, it would be okay. But that's not a recommendation for success. I'm not going to go into the, the research, but the research backs this up, that, that good sex is actually married sex. Um, Sex is communal, not private individual entertainment. Now, when I mean communal, I mean it's part of the community. What we do in our sexual lives influences the community. So, but what we actually hear is that my sexual life is none of your business. We can't ask each other, so how's it going? Or... Um, uh, is he married to somebody else? But you're dating him? Or, you know, ask your roommates. Okay, I mean, I, when I was, I went to Bethel College, good Christian college, but, uh, you know, there's a girl from another floor who used to sneak into my, it was kind of a suite, so it wasn't in my room. Um, but, you know, sneak in through the window, and, and uh, they weren't doing anything. They were just kind of lying together for the evening. But, um, of course, yeah. Um, so it had a little. So they were like, "Well, are you okay with that?" And the pressure was definitely like, "You're okay with that, right? Because it's not in your room, right?" I'm like, um, "I guess." Um, so yeah, they eventually got married, and they and but they got there before they got married. So um, anyway, the the pressure is on that it's none of your business, except. It's on public TV. It's on everybody's business. And, and if we want to, we're going we're gonna to subpoena you and threaten you with jail and make you tell everything. Um, in, now, this could be refer to any number of officials. So uh, it's going to be public knowledge. And we're going to have it on Jerry Springer or whatever other talk show. We can tell all about it. And the one rule is don't go, What? Especially don't go, that's stupid, right? You're supposed to just be accepting, affirming. But it's not private. So here's the thing. I mean, I told you I, I was repaving my driveway, and uh, so I parked my cars on my lawn, and then they threatened me with a ticket because my cars were on the lawn. And then I parked my car, well, sorry, I put them back on the driveway, but I put one on the street, and then, fortunately, my neighbor, it's communal, he came over and said, you know, they chalked your car, they're going to they're gonna tow your car because it's been parked there too long. Okay, so I put it in my driveway. I didn't want it to drip all that oil on the driveway, but, you know, I put it back in the driveway. So we can be communal about that, but the people behind me who are living together, and I have a baby, and the two couples over here who are living together, that's none of my business. But then when they break up and switch up and then somebody else is with somebody else and that kid goes to school and he's got some issues, i got to pay for it. That's Education is, we got to pay for it. 
see, we say that we should make sure that kids get a good education. But shouldn't we make sure that they get to stay with their biological parents too, if at all possible? Stay with their father and make that father be involved with that kid? But that's none of your business. But in, in this place, in the, in, the, in the law, in Israel, it was everybody's business. In fact, if you committed adultery, they were going to stone you and wipe that out of the land and cleanse the land of that kind of stuff happening. Because they did not want that impurity in their people. It was serious. Other places, you could get compensation if you were an offended husband. But in Israel, it was, nope, no question. Uh, most places, it was capital punishment in the neighboring countries. But Israel, because it was serious. It was unfaithfulness. Because when there's unfaithfulness, even in that basic thing, if we're unfaithful in our marriages, where are we going to be faithful? If we don't tell the truth in our, to our wife or our husband, who are we going to tell the truth to? Um, so here's a, this is kind of, sex is very important and it's no big deal. This is kind of the message in the, in the culture, right? Casual sex, hookup, whatever, you know. Um, my daughter, when she was in college, overheard somebody saying, you know, um, I, you know, I try to hook up and stuff, but I just can't help but kind of get involved. And I could just get bonded to that person. Yeah, that's the way God made it. So that it would bond you to that person. And if you're going to do that and put the super glue on and then rip that off and then do that again, it's, it's going to hurt. There's going to be some effects. Um, but, but at the same time, it's like casual, but then it's, so it's not important, it's not that big a deal, whatever. You know, kids are going to be kids. But then, all of a sudden, it's really important. And we have hashtag me too, and we have all this stuff going on. We have the Kavanaugh hearings, and it's like, what? That's, but that's exactly what we expect everybody to do. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting into the Kavanaugh hearings. But the point is that it is important. And sometimes we talk about how important it is. And how devastating it is. And it is devastating. The hashtag me too thing is right. It's devastating to people. But yet we act like no big deal. Anybody can do whatever they want. Um, and we try to make some lines. We're trying to keep, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, the, uh, this book, Janelle Williams-Paris, The End of Sexual Identity. She says, why sex is too important to define who we are. And I think she's got a good point, that sex is really important, but it doesn't define who we are. In other words, um, she comes out in here, and I, I have to be with her. To I'm coming out as I'm not a heterosexual. Because where did that definition come from? That just arrived like 100 years ago, some medical thing that some people are homosexual, some people are heterosexuals. That that's not biblical. It's not, in other places they do other things. There's an island off of Australia where every, every young man has oral sex, and then they get over it when, they're, when they get married. That's what everybody does. People define things different ways. We set up different social systems, and the idea that my desires and my temptations should define me is not in Scripture. I, we'll talk about how I'm defined, who I am, but... Um, 
we'll talk about that. Well, let, let me just talk about it since I got into it now. Um, so, first of all, when we talk about homosexuality, LGBTQ, um, heterosexuality, we make some kind of distinction and we package a bunch of stuff together. What we, are we talking about identity? Are we talking about desire? Are we talking about actions? Um, somebody in our congregation came to me many years ago, um, and he was all broken up because he had uh, he he was married. He had some kids, and he had just admitted to his wife, and he wanted to tell me second person that that he had desires for other men. So I got up and I gave him a big hug and I said, "Okay." I got other desires I don't like either. What are we going to do about it? Um, and we had some prayer time, and I think they, they worked through some things. They've moved on now. But there are people in this congregation who have desires for the same sex, people who've had action with the, the same sex. We all have issues. We're going to get to that scripture. If you were safe on the adultery thing, um, we're, we're, we're getting there. Um, just like we did with you thought you were safe because you hadn't murdered anybody. Um, but uh, let, let's go on. Um, I, I think she's got a, a great point that that's not in Scripture. Scripture says, I am in the image of God, and you are in the image of God. And it doesn't matter what your desires are. You are in the image of God. And we're fallen and sinful. And our bodies and our minds and our Upbringing is all messed up because we're in a fallen world. And therefore, we have desires. I have desires for people who aren't my wife. And I did before I got married, too. I got to deal with that. And so if it's outside of marriage, it doesn't matter. Um, so here's another reality. Reality is that marriage is permanent. That's the way it was designed, to be permanent, not now, not the special moment. It's not about, wow, this is great, this is, this is good sex, this is now. No, good sex is permanent, like my parents, 68 years, and they were faithful before the 68 years came. That's the way it's supposed to be, and that changes everything in a society, in a community, in a church. Um, it's for children, for God and for the community. It's not selfish. So the truth is we've changed marriage from something that was permanent and for kids and make sure they, had a, they were with their parents to something that has become, you, you know, we hope it's permanent. As long as you're fulfilled, it's fine. It, Jan and I actually added that to our vows, fulfilled or not. Because that seemed to be the escape clause now. I'm not fulfilled anymore. It just doesn't do that for me anymore. Well, we, we took that out of ours. Um, reality minus expectation equals happiness. You might have heard this. Um, that's what R minus E equals H. That's my equation. Um, so when you think your expectation is way up here, okay, seeking great sex hinders enjoying real good sex. And all of the stuff that comes out, all the stories you hear and all the recommendations tend to make you think, wow, there's something out there that I'm missing. 
Or in here, if I could, we could just cross some other line, it would be great. But it tends to make actually the reality you're unhappy. You got it good, but you're unhappy because there must be, everybody else is having something else. That story, oh, I wish I could. Um, so God's vision for his people in 10 words. How is this a vision for a people? I want you to think about, so we, whenever somebody says don't, our sinful nature says, why not? I want to now. You told me I can't touch, now I want to touch. Right? So sure, as individuals, we do, but what happens to a community if this happened, if we, if do not commit adultery happened, people were faithful to their partners, if they really were good to their partner. What kind of community would that create? Pastor Andrew and I were talking about this as we uh, were talking about the sermon series. And he said, you know, when my parents got divorced, I think we were just into college, I was relieved. Everybody else's parents had gotten divorced. I was just waiting for mine to get divorced. So his whole community, that's what everybody did. And unfaithfulness, I'm guessing, was not too unusual either. Um, my community... My parents were together, my grandparents were together, all my aunts and uncles were together, and I didn't know about any unfaithfulness that was happening with them. Um, we, the, in our church, you know, part of this was that, that people in the church probably felt shame and moved out if they did it, but there, and I, there was some unfaithfulness going on I found out about later, I didn't know about as a kid, right? But uh, there wasn't a lot of divorce going on, there wasn't a lot of adultery going on, and that was my normal. And it was secure. I grew up with these uncles and aunts, both literal and figurative in the church. The other pastors and, and, um, and, and their wives were other friends. They, they were faithful too. I didn't know that this was something that really happened much. I had heard about it. I'd read the Bible at least. No. <laughs> um, but, the, but it wasn't the reality. And so, but now... Let me tell you, my generation, that's not the case. My generation in our family, all my cousins in every family, there's been some infidelity and divorce. All my the pastor's kids that I grew up with, yeah, that's happened. And things have changed. And you know what? That's changed things. And their families have issues that they didn't have growing up. And and. We, got, we know the psychological, where, where things are going, and part of it is that there isn't that stability from a stable family, knowing my mom and dad are there and they're faithful to each other. That makes a difference. Not only for one kid, but for the whole community. If our church is that kind of place, where that's stable, and when, it, when there's issues, we help each other, that makes a difference. What kind of people could we be? What kind of a holy nation and a kingdom of priests could we be in this culture if we were different in this one thing? Who really knows good sex? Well, the creator of sex, Yahweh. So let's go back to where he created it. Psalms. I mean, where are we here? Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
the fact that I'm a male and others are females, it, and that, that is in the image of God. Now, in the image of God means that we're representatives, we're ruling for him, but we are after, and I grew up with uh, a little more of a Gnostic heresy, sort of platonic thought that, you know, spiritual stuff was good. Bodies, not so much. Bodies were messy. And so sexuality was also messy. When I, when I hit puberty and started having that, I was like, whoa, how do I stay holy when I have this body? Because it wants to do things that I think I'm not supposed to, that's, not, oh, that's got nothing to do with spirituality. Um, God made us sexual, and he made us after his image. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. So be fruitful and multiply implies something, doesn't it? Implies that they were supposed to have sex. That he made it. In fact, he blessed them with it. He blessed them with sex, and he blessed them with having kids and being able to create together with him. Wow! What a blessing to create actual live people who will go on into eternity. Not only create them as babies, but nurture them and help them to become adults who are actually following God. That's what he made this for. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. So God created good sex. In fact, very good sex, right? Because it was part of his beautiful creation. It was part of what he intended for us. He made us with bodies that are good for this. Now, in fact, chapter 2 talks more about the, the, we zoom in on the, on the play here, and we're just watching the quarterback and the running back handoff, and it, said, it replays the creation focused on this. It's, then Yahweh God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Think about this. He was walking through the garden with God every day. And God said, it's not good for him to be alone. It's not good enough for us to have God. Even in a perfect creation, a wonderful relationship with him. He still made us to have each other. Now, keep in mind that this is also about the creation of society and people, not just about marriage. So it doesn't mean that you're, you're not good if you're not married. Um, but he, he says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. Then Yahweh made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. But the man and his wife were both naked. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So in that, you know, the, the, the NLT is is uh, translating for us here, but it talks about they become one flesh. The two become one flesh. And that's a literal thing that of a sexual thing of becoming one flesh, and it's a bigger thing. It's a uniting into one. So, so what are some of the purposes for marriage? Creating new people. We just talked about that. And part of our difficulty is that we've separated that now, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not Catholic. I'm not saying I, 
I have used birthing fuel. I believe it's okay to, to keep these, all these purposes going. But there is something about where we've severed that, that it has nothing to do. Now, there's no thought of, and, it, and if it happens, it's like, whoa, how is that supposed to happen? It's like, well, that's kind of what it's designed for. So if that happens, that's, that happens. Um, for help, for sustenance, for healing, healing the places that were messed up when you were growing up. There's a place in a marriage where you can, you can figure that out together. You can be given grace where you felt shame. You can be given growth. And for sexual union, that one flesh thing, committed, self-giving love. Um, but I want you to see that a marriage keeps all of this leaving. There is a public declaration ceremony of leaving the family and going to another family. It's not something that the couple of you decide. It's a leaving, it's a joining, there's a commitment, and there's an intimacy that happens. But they were naked, but they felt no shame. So one more purpose, it's an image of God's faithful love. Marriage is intended to be an image of God's faithful love. That's why he gets upset when we don't image that, when we portray something else, when we portray unfaithfulness. Remember in, in Scripture it says, Paul talks about husbands and wives submitting to each other, and he says, but I'm really talking about Christ and the church, that Christ gives himself for the church. And there is that picture of what is happening between God and his people. Naked and no shame. Now, this is incredible, isn't it? Why didn't you want to talk to the person next to you about what you thought of when I said good sex? You're a little ashamed of it, probably. There's a lot of shame around sex. But to be naked and have no shame is amazing. There's a lot of... So it doesn't mean not shameful, as in closed and condemning. Okay, so there's... And, and when I, my growing up was a little more this way. I felt more shame about the fact that I was... Um, that I had sexual desires, that I was... And I was struggling with that. And that I, felt a, I, I have felt a lot of shame around my sexuality. And I know there's a lot of other places we get shame. You can get shame about how you look. It tends to be, this, this happens both ways. Women, women have shame about their desires for men, but they get more shame about how they look. And men, um, more about their desires, but they also can get shame about how they look. And this, this whole body image thing... God made you in his image. They were naked and they had no shame. But yeah, they messed up and then they had to cover up because they had all this shame from when they discovered that the shame that came from their, their rebellion against God. Right? So it is not shameless. So here's, the, uh, here's because the church has sometimes been so um, negative and picked up on the platonic Gnostic heresy that um, bodies are bad and things are bad and sex is bad and we shouldn't talk about that, then 
people have overreacted the other way and said, you know, shame is a terrible problem. You shouldn't have shame about anything. You should be shameless. That's kind of where we've gone. That used to be a bad thing, to be shameless. Because it meant you had no, no rules, no restrictions. And there are a lot of people who haven't grown up with do not commit adultery. and do, they, they don't have any problem with they're shameless in what they do with their sexuality because nobody told them it was wrong. And we, you know, some people say, well, if you have premarital sex, you're going to feel terrible. Well, it may be, especially if you grew up like I did. But maybe you grew up someplace where, no, it was good. Well, fine. Because I haven't even, nobody's been taught that that was something you should ever be ashamed of. Um, so it's put as sex positive, but it's not necessarily positives. People still get hurt somehow. Um, but no shame is different. No shame is welcoming and transforming. So I, I put these up because this is kind of how, how some, there's some churches that call themselves open and affirming. Um, we're not there. We don't want to be closed and condemning. Everybody's welcome. It's a, this is a place of grace and openness and you just heard people this morning talking about real issues in their, in their lives. Um, we want to be welcoming to everybody. If you're here wherever you're at with your sexuality or anything else, welcome. But we also know that God has some ideals for where he wants to take us, who he wants to make us. He wants to transform us into something better than we were. He has great hopes for us and for our relationships. So he wants to transform us. He wants to welcome us and he wants to transform us. Um, so um, ju just to go, um, you know, this, I'm sorry, but this, 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 sermon has been difficult for me for a lot of reasons. One of them is it should be a series. And maybe we'll do the series sometime. But there's a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> and um, let's just be open about LGBTQ stuff and admit that the church has messed up, been condemning, been harsh, been uh, acted like some people are better than others. That's why I said I'm not a heterosexual, because heterosexual implies that I'm somehow different and probably better than LGBTQ. That's hogwash. My temptations are no different than anybody else's temptations. If I, I, we're all from God. Image of God. Your body and your desires are good, but they're also messed up from the fall. Mine are anyways. Um, so, So, this is, uh, this is, you know, turns out I stayed overnight and uh, we decided to share a cupcake. Wasn't that nice? We shared a muffin in the morning. That's different than this, by the way. Um, so, how is it different? Well, it's different in terms of consent. Because this means... The two of us adults consented. And that's the line now. We, we've pushed the line way back to as long as we both agreed, it's fine. 
But biblically, that's not the case. Biblically, the household has to consent. As in your future spouse, your future children, her future spouse, her future children, um, your extended family has to consent. Did your father say it was okay? Did your mother say it was okay? What about hers? What about his? Um, did your church say it was okay? You're part of the body of Christ if you're committed here. Did the rest of the body of Christ agree that you could use your body that way? Did society, well, society, we're not sure anymore. But uh, society used to support this. Did God agree? God has got to consent to use what he made. He created sex, he created your body, and he has to consent to the way that you use your body. Your body does not belong to you if you've given yourself to Jesus. So you don't get to do whatever you consent to. He has to consent to it. So the reason we do a wedding is that in a wedding, we get all of that. We agree. There's, we, we, there's consent. I do. I do. I will for, for the whole time. The church says, we will. We will support them. We think this is a good thing. God says, yes, I, I I am affirming the covenant you are making, and I'm making a covenant with you as well. It is a covenant, and society is also saying, okay, you're legally married. So all of those things, but you see how, did you get my, maybe you don't get the analogy here. So God's the table, society, church, extended family, household. Then the couple are on top of all of that. All of that is holding them up. All of that is affirming them. All of that should be keeping them on track. Hey, how's it going between you guys? How, how has the first year been? I know the first year can be tough. How, how are you doing? Come on over for dinner. Let's talk about it. It should be all affirming. Okay, been in Africa a while. You don't just say, I had enough of this. I'm going home. You go home to your, to your dad's family. He's going to say, what are you doing here? We ate the cows. Go back. None of this you decide. Now, it's, it's blending a little more, but you don't get to just decide that you're going to marry somebody. The whole family, all the aunts and uncles have to agree that this is going to happen, and there has to be some exchange of bride price usually and some other things going on so that everybody, and then everybody's invested in it. No, 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 we're not breaking that up. Um... It's also about community. It's about the household, the extended family, the church, the society, the, and God, all of that supporting and part of what is happening in your marriage. I want you to think about it flipping it the other way around. Those marriages are also the foundations and the pillars that the kingdom of God or the community or the society should be built on. And you notice how when you make a pillar, you take these re-rod iron shafts and then you wire them together and you wire them all together and then you set them in concrete and then when you've done all that, you build on top of that. And when all of those pillars are solid like that, you can build an amazing building just with some wires and concrete. But... If there's some rot in those wires, the bridge goes down. 
there was a little rust in some of those wires in the 35W bridge, and it collapsed because one of the pillars didn't work so well, and then when it leaned on the other pillars, that didn't work so well, and a bunch of people died. And honestly, our society has got some issues with infrastructure when it comes to marriage and family. And there's a lot of crashes going on, a lot of people getting hurt because of it. But we can be different. We can change that. God can give us the power to do something revolutionary and different. So if you've been comfortable up till now, um, saying, I, I never committed adultery, I haven't had premarital sex, I, I'm, I'm good, then Jesus comes along and messes it up for us. And uh, he takes not only the baseline, the, the outside fence, but he says, here was the intention. Here was what we're really after, the goal of this. He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. This is his Sermon on the Mount where he's interpreting the law. You've heard that command, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now this is not like, wow, she's beautiful. That's, she's amazing. That's, that's okay. You know, it talks about David. He was dark and handsome and had nice eyes. And the Bible's not afraid of physical beauty. It's the, I want to possess her. How can I get her? This is, it's the ruminating, the, the after her or him. And I think it could also be applied the other way. If you are walking into the room trying to get all eyes on you by what you wore or how you're talking or what, how you're behaving, if you're trying to attract that worship and affirmation, uh, that's not so good either. Um, whichever, whichever way it works. So now... Okay, let me, let me read on. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Um, so there are some people who have literally done this and uh, lost their hand. Uh... Maybe I should explain this a little bit so you don't all come back uh, blind and handless next week. Um, Jesus is making a point, and he's using hyperbole, a little exaggeration, to make his point. That, but his point is, this is bad enough that you need to do everything, however painful it is, to make sure you get rid of this in your life. So when I, I had never really thought about this, but when I thought of it, I realized this is also some hyperbole. So if you have lusted after someone, it's not actually identical to sleeping with them. Just like being angry at someone and calling them an idiot is not the same as shooting them. He was actually exaggerating. But he was making a point. This is the heart of it. This is where it starts. King David, he looked, and he looked again, and he watched Bathsheba taking her bath, and he was like, wow. And then he sent for someone to go get her, and that lust in his heart led to adultery, to murder, to lie, 
And we'll talk a little bit more about where it ended up eventually. Well, where did it end up? The baby died. He killed her husband. Then his son raped his daughter. And then his other son killed his son. And then that son ended up creating a rebellion and capturing everybody and then sleeping with all of his wives out on the, on the roof of the palace so that everybody could see that he'd committed adultery with all of David's wives. And then there was a civil war and thousands of people died. And David's career, which had been like this, went... He was forgiven. He was not stoned because he repented. And God forgave him. And we, Psalm 31, created me a clean heart, O oh God. But he fortunately had somebody in the community bold enough to walk up to the king and say, you are the man. Tell a great story and then nail him with it. Nathan told him this story about um, somebody stealing somebody else's sheep. David got angry with it about it, and then he said, you are the man. And David repented. But there were still consequences. So don't play with fire and say, well, I can always put it out. Um, I have a, a, a friend who was in my youth group. We, we were at, up at Sand Hill Lake Bible Camp, and I was trying to explain that this is when I was 23, and uh, I was a youth pastor in Cloquet, and I was up there, he was 16, and, and uh, I was suggesting to him that you might um, love a girl by not touching her. And he was like, oh, maybe in your day. I'm like, my day? I'm 23. <laughs> he says, well, you, you just, you know, you put a line and then you don't cross it. I said, well, you can run to the end of the dock, but that doesn't mean you can stop. And, uh, yeah, he got a girl pregnant before he graduated from high school. He's a grandfather now. I, it won't be long until he's a great-grandfather, maybe. Fortunately, he's stuck with the church. He's repented, and his family's doing okay. But there were still some consequences from not slowing down at the beginning of the dock. Um, so Jesus is serious about this lust thing is important. Um, so... So now is the most uncomfortable time of the sermon. This is why I didn't want to preach this, but nobody else wanted to preach it either. So um, this has been a struggle for me my whole life. I've struggled with wrong desires, desires for people who were, I was not married to. And um, there have been hard things, and God has forgiven me over and over. Now, I'm glad that I struggled at this point. And I've struggled and struggled and struggled at this point. Because um, the good part of that is that I, I stayed faithful. I didn't have sex with anybody else. I didn't have almost sex with anybody else. Didn't have almost sex with Jan before we got married. Now, it wasn't easy, even between us, to, to, to keep that line before we got married. But I'm glad that I was able to not commit actual adultery or fornication or other immorality before we got married. It's been a great blessing in our marriage and to our kids and to our community. And the places where I messed up have been not a great blessing to our marriage or our community. 
And one of the things that helped me the most was talking to other people. But I didn't know I could talk to other people. Which is why I'm saying this now. Because youth, when I was your age, I heard don't. But I didn't hear anybody say, I have a hard time with this too. You want to talk about it? We need to be a community where next time I say, I want you to talk to the person next to you about how things are going in your sex life, you can do that. Well, maybe not the person right next to you necessarily. But somebody in the community. We need to be a community where we hold each other accountable, but not just hold each other accountable. We also like change each other's oil and get to know each other and have pizza together and ask questions about how things are going. Because it feels like you have to go on the Internet to find out how to have good sex. Find out what the ten secrets are that nobody's telling you. We could be asking some of the other folks who have a little more experience how it goes. Right? We could be a community that supports this kind of lifestyle. This kind of I style. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman lustfully. One of the best things I, that helped me the most was when Jan and I were dating, I said, this is the reality. This is, this is where I'm at. And I'm going to tell you every time I fall in this area, every time I fantasize or masturbate, I said that word, um, I'm going to tell you about it. And so I did. And I have continued to. And that has helped me so much. And not just her, but others. Now, some people don't recommend that. They don't know if their wife's, you know, you're sure your wife can handle that. And I ask her, and she says, well, I'd rather know than not know. Um, and so I don't know if, if uh, your wife or your husband is the right person to talk to, if this should be somebody else. Probably somebody the same sex if it's not your husband or your wife. Um, but it's somebody who can talk to you and who can then look you in the eyes and say, you are forgiven. That's powerful. Because otherwise our shame just eats at us. Inside. And if anybody knew, what would they think? And when that happens, then Satan has us. He's the accuser and he just says, yeah, you're terrible. You're awful. If anybody knew, they would just... And let me tell you, as a pastor, I am crossing a line you may not have seen here before. Because as a pastor, it's pretty tough to be living with the fact that you can't, you have to be different from other people. You have to be more holy. You have to be, because it's a shame if you ever, but you know what happens then? You got Willow Creek and Bill Hybels. And let's just cover it up so that we can keep the church growing. Then 30 years later, it shows up and boom, the whole thing falls apart. Or you have the Catholic church uh, priest scandals. Let's just cover it up for a while. And then, boom, it blows up and the whole church and the whole society has got problems. So, I'm telling you now, pray for me. Because I struggle in this area. I need your prayers. Let's pray for each other. So that we can move toward more purity. And I, I praise God that I have moved toward more purity. I praise God that He's kept me struggling at that place. Now, I, 
Um, let me go on here. And so, dear, well, let me, uh, okay. Let me just say this. I think there are others of you who might also struggle. Just guessing. Talk to a few of you. And I haven't talked to some of you. But I'm just guessing that we might have some things to talk about. You don't have to talk to me about it, but talk to each other about so we can help each other in these areas. Because Satan wants to keep us in shame. He wants to just accuse us, tempt us, get us, and then turn around and accuse us. Jesus wants to be the prodigal's father and welcome us home and throw a banquet and say, fantastic, you came home. Let's celebrate. But most of us are the younger brother. We go off and we ended up wasting everything with prostitutes. And then as soon as we turn around, we become the older brother. You idiot, what'd you do that for? Right? So we, there's two ways to deal with shame. One is to be more pure. The other is to get forgiveness. And they go together. They're all about grace. So, Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. 1 Corinthians 6, which I'm not going to go to, even though it's in the slideshow, um, says God bought our bodies. He's going to resurrect our bodies. And we are part of the body of Christ. And we can't unite that body with a prostitute because then the uniting, you get united with her and we become one flesh with her. And that's, that doesn't work. We are, our bodies belong to God. So give, be, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything he's done for you, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. He made your body. He redeemed your body. He became a body and killed that body so that he could forgive you. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. We've just been talking about the culture, the behavior, the customs, the way it's happening in our culture. Don't do that. Don't follow that pattern. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Most of us have some neural pathways that have been shaped and some ruts that are there that we tend to slip back into. God can transform and renew our thinking in a different way. Um, then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So hey, you want sex that's good, pleasing, and perfect? Start at the top. Give your bodies to God. Be renewed. Don't follow the pattern of the world. You'll get to God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. We need to be an accountable community. So I don't talk about pornography, for example. It now seems accessible, anonymous, and affordable. Those three things make it really hard. Different than when I was growing up. It's on your smartphone. It's in your face. It's on, your, it's on all over the... You know, you, don't, you know where it is. Community makes a difference. If we can share with each other. Covenant Eyes is a, is a program that uh, I put on my computer. It goes on your smartphone. Uh, it's got accountability and filters. So if I look at... Well, first of all, it won't let me look at something that I've put on the filters. I don't want to look at that kind of stuff. Won't let me look at it. And it also, if I try, even when I try to look at it, it's, it sends an email to Jan and says, hey, 
Here's what he tried to look at. And I could add others of you. Anybody else want to be on the list? Um, so that you have people who you're accountable to as a community. We know what each other's looking at. And we're getting it filtered out because, now I wish I didn't need this, but I do. And it helps. And it's really made a difference so that I don't go there. Um, so community says it's not anonymous. The filters help you to make it not anonymous and not accessible. And then I want to just say it actually isn't affordable. It's super expensive. It's super expensive in the way that your relationships are going to be, in the way that your thinking is going to be, in the way that you're going to spend your time, and in the way our society is crumbling. Just think about a society in a community where we didn't have to have me too things, where everybody was like, they're not, they're not looking at me, nobody's leering at me, because no, that wouldn't even be in their thoughts. Can you imagine a community where that's the case, where we actually followed Matthew 5, not only were we not committing adultery, but nobody had to even worry that somebody was looking at them funny. Would that be amazing? Come on, women, would that be amazing? I know it's not just women, but you guys get a lot of objectifying. Let's be honest. So here's some things. This is um, from something on the Covenant Eyes website. Walk in accountability. Internalize scripture. These are some practical things you can do. Memorize scripture. Look at those stories. Um, walk in pure pleasure. Like, take a walk. Do something that's fun. Play a racquetball. Do, do uh, pure pleasure things. Walk in our true identity as the image of God. Stir up the hope. Um, so your brain on porn is something that's on that Covenant Eyes website. So write down Covenant Eyes. Go home and look at it. And then I dare you to put it on your phone. And your kids' phones. And your, and your uh, computer and whatever else you, you're going to use. Um, so living as a holy, just community. True identity. Respect the image of God. Who you are and who... Um, those around you are, surrender your body to Jesus. Community and confession follows Jesus' word and example. Ask for love and power. So finally, as we come to the communion table, let's have the, the worship team come up. I want to talk about grace. And this is the good news. This is the part we get to the good news. As a church, we know about grace, which the world does not know about. Grace that can keep a marriage going. Marriage is not really about compatibility as, it much, as much as it is about forgiveness and grace. Um, and that can keep us going. And I've talked a lot about, about um, marriage today. Those of you who are single, you are also fully part of this community. God has created you, male and female, and you've got a part of this body that you are. Let's have the, the, um, the ministry coordinators and elders come up to... Uh, serve communion as well. So, um, and there's different gifts. There's a, the Bible talks about a gift of a wife. It talks about the gift of singleness. It talks about the gift of a husband or wife. But they both come from God. And God uses all of us in our own way. So, but all of us in our particular situations have our own temptations and our own sins. Um, Maybe some of you this wasn't for, but if this happened to touch something for some of you, this is a verse that I keep coming back to. And I keep needing people to say it to me. 
Um, I talked to my mom the other day and told her exactly where I was at. And she said, well, we don't want to be living in shame. Let's, you know what this verse says? And she quoted it to me. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess to God and to each other, James says we should confess to each other so that we may be healed. But if we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. How can he be just to forgive us our sins when we messed up? Well, because he already paid for how we messed up in our bodies with his body on the cross. He already took the punishment for our sin so that we could be forgiven, not only forgiven, but cleansed, purified, so that we could have power to do something different. So there is no guilt and there's no shame in this place because we have the cross. Jesus died naked, shamed on the cross so that we could be naked and have no shame. We could be who we really are with each other and have no shame. And then he gave us power to go and sin no more. You remember the woman who caught an adultery came and he said, so which of you is going to cast the first stone? And they all just left. And then Jesus, who could have, said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Notice he didn't say, no big deal. He said that was sin. But I forgive you, now go and sin no more. So for us, accept God's forgiveness as you take communion. Accept his body and his blood broken for you and for your sin. And then go and sin no more by the power of his Holy Spirit working through you and by the encouragement of the community. So the, um, we're going to pass out the uh, elements of communion here. If your kids are with you, you, you can decide whether they, you want them to uh, share. Please hold the elements.